Hi, welcome to Interrogatories with Josh Campson. This is your host, Josh Campson. Today we have Judge Levine on, and this is an interesting interview. Uh, our first actual sitting judge, he's a magistrate judge here in Montgomery County, and he is up for election. Uh, so check it out. Uh, you know, we talk about what it's like being a judge, what it's like from going from practicing law uh, to kind of sitting behind the bench, and what that transition is like. I think we do talk a little bit about. You know, once your friends become judges and that starts to become worrisome because, you know, some of the people I went to law school with definitely shouldn't be judges, but there it is. So enjoy the conversation. As always, if you do enjoy it, rate us and review us on iTunes. Uh, if you didn't enjoy it, don't share it with anyone. But if you did, feel free to share with a friend because it really does help the podcast. Thanks very much and enjoy the show. Judge Levine, thanks for joining us here on Interrogatories. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. So you're our first sitting judge. Uh, we've had aspiring judges. We've had members of Congress, um, other elected officials, but you are our first judge. Uh, so welcome. Congratulations. Uh, I am honored. That is, you know, a lot of judges out there. And to be the first one, especially coming after Madeline Dean or soon after, is pretty impressive. So I'm happy to be here. Uh, you know, look, it's a great legal community here, longstanding tradition. Uh, I'm happy to be a part of it. And I'm happy to give you any insight I can. Well, the first insight is explain to people that aren't from Pennsylvania or, or aren't familiar with the situation. You're a magisterial district judge, formerly magisterial district justice. Uh, but explain what that is versus a common pleas judge and what the what the day jobs look like. I, I like to describe the magisterial district judge as sort of the legal gatekeeper uh, in the in the judiciary, because we are the ones that really are at the front lines. Uh, we handle all traffic, all non-traffic citations. So all of that is right up front with us. Uh, we also handle civil small claims under $12,000. And those tend to be the ones where it's pro se and people are coming in without lawyers. Uh, so having a judge that can explain the law and explain, well, why you didn't meet the threshold for uh, damages or what have you is important. Uh, we also do all landlord-tenant matters. Uh, in fact, my court in 2019 had the most landlord-tenant cases in the county. Uh, it's a brisk area. My area is Lansdale, Talmanton, and Hatfield. Uh, so we're one of the busier landlord-tenant courses, case, uh, courts. And then also we have a criminal. And criminal, we are essentially the gatekeepers. We do the arraignments, which is basically telling people what they're charged with, setting their bail and uh, letting them know when their prelim is. And then we do the preliminary hearings, which are where the Commonwealth just has to show that they have prima facie, that they can charge somebody with what they've charged them with. It's not guilt or innocence. Uh, so we're the ones that determine that. And there are often times where they don't have enough evidence to uh, bring charges or some charges they can and some charges they can't. Are there? In addition to that, we are there. <laughs> yes, there are times, uh, believe it or not. And, and I think it's important to know that because there are legal standards. There are evidentiary rules. Uh, hearsay was a big one over the last five years. And you know about Ricker. I don't want to get too deep into that. But knowing hearsay um, and, and knowing the rules of the court and knowing the rules of evidence are important because there are times where maybe at the stop or maybe at the incident, there was enough evidence, but where they have to present it in the court and there is a level of prima facie, and sometimes they don't have it. So um, look, there, we have standards, we have legal standards in this country, and it's important to have judges who know them and uphold them. And then real quick, we also do emergency PFAs, 
uh, when the common pleas and the PFA judges and around or to issue it. And uh, oh, search warrants, which are also oh. important. And uh, and then we do weddings. Weddings are fun. Um, yeah, that's that's probably the easy part. So uh, you're you're a magistrate district judge now, but you weren't always. And I was looking at your LinkedIn and your bio here, and it looks like did you used to work at the Discovery Channel? I did used to work at the Discovery Channel. Now, Long were you time ago? <laughs> were you in the weeds? Literally, were you in the ocean? What was your situation there? I wish I always wanted to do that. No, I was unglamorously in the tape library and duplication center. So back at Discovery, I mean, this is a huge outfit, you know, bunch of different channels, and advertisers need to send out copies of tapes to prospective advertisers. People producing a show, they need 10 seconds of a koala eating tree branches, but they need it on a certain type of digital tape. So the librarian would grab that clip, I'd put it on a certain type of medium and send it out. So it was a lot of shipping and coordination. So I was the quote unquote tape duplication coordinator, uh, which was fun. It was a corporate environment. It was a very cool place to work for the uh, couple of years I was over there. And I always did want to go to the seaweed and the sea and move laterally and do the production side on certain shows. And they never, I, it was hard to move laterally. They wanted to keep me there. They liked the job I was doing, um, begged to plead. And then opportunity came up to go to Philly. So I took it and I left Discovery Channel. But I got some good swag out of it. We're gonna back that up just a second before we get to your trip to Philly. Uh, so you're in the vault. Somebody wants a video of a koala. How does that work? Do you, I mean, do you essentially have an internal Google that you type in koala? How is it tracked? How is it recorded? Tell me all about that. People find that interesting well, or maybe not, that, but I don't care. That's why I'm the host. I, <laughs> they're actually, they catalog everything that they have video and audio of. They have an extensive library, digital this, that, and the other thing. I wasn't the librarian. There is a couple of librarians who, okay, you need a koala. They search it. They see if they can find it. They see if there's a clip in a certain show. Um, and that's what they would look up. They know what's out there and they just have an extensive database of all their video and all the stuff that they have. And they have plenty of B-roll. B-roll is basically the footage that they don't use for the show. So when you see a half hour show on koalas, there's probably 30 hours of koala video sitting around in a library somewhere. And so they would find it for you, the librarian, like, like a Marion yeah. type, and then they would give yeah. it to you. And you would and send it I out. I would go to, you know, I would also round up, okay, well, what medium do you need? You need it on a, a CD-ROM, you need it on tape. And I'd go to the taping, the physical taping technical guy and like, okay, we need to put this together. And then I'd be the one to send it out, mail it, ship it, all of that stuff. Very exciting, very exciting stuff at Discovery Channel. So uh, today, I mean, I'm assuming all that now is just digital and they just email the file or upload the file or whatever. If, if you had to guess, I mean, it sounds like you were there in what, the 50s? <sighs> 60s Gosh. and you're on tape. I don't know. I don't know how old anyone I is. Was, you look young for that. I was, um, I'm the big five zero man. There um, you go. I was there late nineties and a lot of stuff was being sent out by mail. A lot of advertisers were getting videotapes. A lot of production houses needed to get, you know, dat tapes and, and it was still physically tapes, you know, the, the speed and the processing of digital media just was so slow back then you had to, do FedEx and send it. I mean, now it's a different ball game. Gosh, you could you could make a movie in twenty seconds these days with uh, the the power and the resources that they have now. But yeah, it was Stone Age. So you said you came up to Philly. Is that you were somewhere else when you were at Discovery? 
geographically? Uh, I grew up outside of Washington, D.C. Uh, my dad was in the federal government. He worked for the Department of Commerce. He went to uh, University of Pennsylvania Law School. Um, he was actually a grand champion on the show Concentration back when Hugh Downs hosted it. Uh, so a very smart dude. Um, worked for uh, the government, took care of the family, all of that. Um, I met a girl. And uh, when I met a girl, I went to University of Maryland, didn't meet her there, met her at Adams Morgan in D.C. Eventually, I had twins. Uh, and that can be a handful. Yes. Kids alone are a handful, but twins are tough. And my now ex-wife, her family lived up here in the Lansdale area. And we made that move to come up here, uh, which was a great move, probably the best move I've ever made. And it, it's tough because people are so like, oh, I want to stay where I am and I'm comfortable. But I made the leap. and. And from there, uh, I decided to go to law school and give Temple Law a try, uh, a career change. I was probably about 30 years old, 31. Um, and the TV business, I wasn't finding anything up here. Plus, you know, my wife then at the time was like, you're a smart guy. You should go to law school. Your dad was a lawyer. You could, you could do well. Um, so I went to Temple Law and I worked uh, for a district judge while going to Temple Law. I, I was actually a car wash manager for a year between coming up here and Temple Law. And I was managing a car wash because you, you got to pay the bills. And they actually fired me uh, the week of the masters. They, they, they fired me essentially because they're like, you're not dedicated to this. You're going to go to law school in the fall. We have a guy, we want to bring him in. We want to get him up and running now instead of waiting until the fall. I'm like, that's fair enough. So I guess technically that's a firing, but not really. Sounds like firing uh, to me. Yeah. All right. It happens. Um, and then I go to this uh, little driving range and putt putt course and farm called Freddie Hill Farms over on Sumney Town Pike. And I'm hitting golf balls. And the guy next to me just, hey, pretty good draw on that swing and this and that. We start chatting. Turns out it's uh, former Judge Keatley, who was the uh, district judge for Lansdale Montgomery Township. And lo and behold, he had a spot open at the court. So I started working there. And then as I went to law school, I worked in the court during the daytime, went to night school. Uh, which is a totally different vibe than going during the day. Uh, and it's, I love night school. Took four years instead of three, as it's supposed to, but uh, I worked for Judge Keatley. I worked at Ruben Glickman Steinberg and Gifford. I worked at a big personal injury firm, Valari Brandis and Klein. Uh, took the bar and passed the PA in Jersey bar and then started to give this a go if you want to get into that part. Yeah, oh, we'll get there in a second. So you, were 30 with two kids, two twins. And you said to yourself, you know what I'd like to do is work full time and also go to school full time. And your wife uh, at the time was okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> maybe she oh, wanted well, you out of the house. Well, there maybe a little of that and maybe the, the dollar signs in the eyes. Okay. He'll be an attorney. Attorneys make a ton of money. Well, they don't. They don't. And the reality no. is, and the ones that do the corporate and the big law firms, are generally the ones that can devote 80, 90 hours right out of law school uh, to the firm. And I knew once I got to law school, I'm like, I'm never going to be, I have kids. I want to spend time with my kids. I'm not going to be able to be that corporate guy that's going to make 150 grand or hundred grand straight out of law school. It's just not going to happen. Um, I'd rather spend time with my kids. It's, it's what do you value? Do you value your family or do you value the money? And, and I just, valued being with my kids 
more than that. So, you know, I took some uh, lesser gigs, I guess you could say. I mean, look, I did workers comp straight out of uh, law school, which was tough. Uh, it, that's, a, that's a different field. It's an interesting field. Uh, I didn't love it, but, you know, it, it paid the bills and I definitely learned a lot doing it. You, you get to go in front of judges, you get to do interrogatories, depositions, uh, interact with other lawyers uh, and clients. Um, so it, it was a good experience doing that. And here you are, full circle, doing interrogatories again, because the show is called Interrogatories. (laughs) Look at that. Uh, So you you graduate law school, and you're kind of making this meandering path, and then eventually become decide to run for judge, right? Judge, you're your elected judge. Well, I actually ran for the first time in 2009. I was only two and a half years out of law school, which I know is early, but I I saw an opportunity. the incumbent judge had been doing it a long time. I think it was time for a change. Uh, I, I think I had fresh new ideas. I think he might have been a little burned out a little bit. Um, but, you know, it, it's a great gig. And I'm sure he wanted to keep it. So I ran against him. And I ran my butt off. I knocked on doors. I did everything you need to do. Um, the night the polls closed, I was actually up by five votes out of about 6,000 votes. Um, in fact, I think the newspaper even said Levine edges Bork by five votes. But that morning, I guess 22 absentee ballots came in magically and flipped it. And I lost by 12 votes. And that was pretty brutal. Uh, that's a gut shot. And I had to I had to wait my time and bide my time for six years, uh, knowing that I was going to run again. So at that point. You know, I'm taking whatever jobs I can get. I'm doing a lot of contract work and per diem work. Um, I was given a couple of offers for associateships and I'm like, no, I'm not going to be full time here. I'm going to run again in 2015. Um, And in 2015, I was fortunate enough to uh, be unopposed for the open seat because uh, board retired in 2015, which was nice. I did have two people that did try to run against me. Um, They were both political committee people, which. If you look at the rules for being a judge, rule number one, it's the very first rule is you cannot be a member of a political committee. Now, you know, they, those guys are still mad at me for getting them off the ballot. But I'm like, if you're going to run for judge, you may want to know the rules before you run. And you may want to know these things. Uh, I think the rules are important. It's kind of part of the job. So I legitimately knocked them off the ballot and was unopposed. Uh, but also at the same time, both political parties somewhat supported me. Uh, I know there was no, you know, I, I, I had democratic support. The Republican party's like, we like you too. So go for it. The other two guys were kind of rogue candidates at the time. And explain to people uh, in terms of requirements that, you know, you don't have to be a lawyer to be a magistrate judge, right? That's true. That's true. Um, What's that all about? <laughs> I, look, and, and I've, I've knocked on a lot of doors. I said, look, the reality of the situation is there are over 500 magisterial district judges in the state. That's a lot of judges and a lot of ground to cover. And the reality is in a lot of these rural areas uh, in the middle of Pennsylvania and 40, 50 years ago, when they first started doing this, it was hard to find lawyers to do this job. Um, and the job, I think, was a lot simpler back then. Um, So they allowed for you to take a certification class, which is a month long class, and then you have to take the exam and you have to pass the exam. If you do that, you are then certified to sit on the bench. Uh, And I understand that. It makes sense. Uh, You know, my counter to that, especially in Montgomery County, 
you know, this is a county with over 830,000 people. It's as big as five states in this country. And we have a wealth of professionals, a wealth of lawyers. We have a strong DA department. We have a strong lawyers all across this county. And we deserve in this population and in this area to have the most professional people. And I kind of equate it to imagine if every district had one plumber. You want the best plumber, the one who's most educated, the most certified, the one who has the most experience. You, you just, it's important and you have the resources here in Montgomery County. I think people need to realize that because there are cases that come in that are very difficult. There are legal arguments that come in and these are important cases. These are people's lives on the line. So I, I think that's an important thing to realize. I think being an attorney is a benefit. I think we are lucky in Montgomery County to have a lot of really good judges that are attorneys. Now there are good judges that aren't and they've done a good job. Most of them are probably retiring soon. I know Marushak's retiring, probably Judge Leo. And eventually we are going to realize having attorney judges is important and we can do that here in this county. So hopefully I get to keep my seat. Now, in terms of running for office as a judge, um, not everywhere does that. Any thoughts on that system? Should we keep it? Should we get rid of it? And, you know, the idea of a judge having to go door to door is a bit icky to some people. It, it can be. Um, there are issues with it. Um, I know a lot of my colleagues that are attorneys are not happy with it. They want to make it all attorneys. But I'm pragmatic which is why I think I'm a good judge. And the reality is filling those slots with only judges would be difficult. And the trade-off might also not be something some of these attorneys want. Now, I, I have a very, very small private practice on the side. Right now, I think I have one or two clients and it's family law, so who knows? Nothing's really going on. Some of these uh, attorney judges, I mean, they're spending 40% of their time you know, at their legal practice mm -hmm. and they make a good amount of money doing that. Uh, and I think the trade-off would be, okay, you want only judges, you can't work on the side. And I don't know if they would trade that off. Um, as far as the safety aspect and the knocking on doors, look, I, the way I conduct my court, and I believe I'm very respectful, very friendly, very open, uh, and I have a good way of telling people things, good or bad, I don't have reservations knocking on doors. Even the ones that I, I, I knocked on doors of people I didn't rule in favor of, and they were cool. They were fun. I have volunteers who I've put in jail, and they understood why I put them in jail, and they were fine with it. And they're now out there helping me out to win. They're like, you did what you had to do, and you did it fairly, and you weren't a jerk about it, and you didn't sit there and lecture me. You told me what happened and why this is happening. And now, now they support me, which I think speaks volumes of how I conduct myself in this court. But what about the issue? I mean, I guess what I'm trying to get at is, you know, in some places, judges are appointed and they don't have to get into the uh, muck and mire of running for office. I mean, do you think that that detracts from the job, knowing that you're going to have to run for reelection in five and a yeah. half years or whatever it is? I do. It's 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 a double edged sword right there. I do think it it detracts. I think having this political thing hovering over my head every six years is not good, it's not beneficial. The alternative is, well, how do we select these judges? That can also become political. And the reality of my situation was, if it wasn't the way it is now, I don't think I could have run or been 
appoint. I don't think I ever could have been appointed. I, I think appointments deal. Okay, who's donating money to the party? Who's the party in power? Who's doing the appointments? Right. Uh, so that process can be political, and then I think that could also kind of be more fraught with financial underdealings and things like that, and you know, backdoor political bargains. And I was honestly, before I got involved with any of this, I was a registered independent. I stayed out of it. Uh, I honestly feel, I, I, I think, and this is outside the box, I think the best way to do this is to make sure all judges and judicial candidates are registered independents at least two years prior to running. I'll switch to independent. I don't care. And leave the political parties out of it. And then, okay, no primary. Let's just have a runoff in November if that's what we want to do. Uh, it's difficult, probably will never happen, but I think that's the best way to do it. Yeah, talk about difficult and would never happen. And a lot of moving parts <laughs> in that proposal. Um, now, I noticed this is an audio-only medium, but and I appreciate using medium uh, appropriately instead of media. But anyway, <laughs> this is an audio-only medium, but I noticed you have a little bit of a gamer chair there. Now, are you I in your do. chambers? Is this your office? Do you always use a gamer chair? This is, okay. this is my chair on the bench. Now, there's no rule that says I need a certain high back chair. There are rules. I have to wear a robe, and that's absolutely appropriate. I should wear a robe. But the chair, I have to sit here for several hours a day. I have to do hearings. I might as well be very comfortable. And this chair is unbelievable. And I got it on, you know, for nothing because there was a gaming place right down the strip mall here that were they went out of business. They were practically giving away this chair. I tape up the logo so I don't have any commercial stuff. And it gives a little flair. Uh, my courtroom is definitely different. It, it, it has my sensibility. I'm very into art. Um, I'm very into music. My courtroom has a bunch of local artists hanging on the walls. It also has concert posters that are geared towards, excuse me, Americana, you know, sort of bands like Wilco and, and stuff like that with more of an American flag. And so is it like a, the feel. is it like a Starbucks in there? You know, local artists for sale or no, I'm um, no sales. No, 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 <laughs> I don't sell them. I'm not allowed to do that. I won't do that. I will put their information up. If you, if you're interested in their work, that's great. I, I love promoting artists. I don't do any of the selling. Um, now, did you ever hear about I, the magistrate think, judge? There was, there was a judge once, about 10 years ago, I'm not going to say which county, but somewhere I used to practice who got jammed up for selling hot dogs at the back of his uh, office. That was his you know, thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am always amazed at, at what some of the judges do and some of the ones that violate the law. It's just amazing to me how you cannot just see the, the ethical problem with some of those things. So, you know, I, I try to keep it as clean as possible. You know, this is an open courtroom. I like having people come in here and I want them to see and I want them to learn and I want them to, uh, you know, sort of explore a little bit. That's always kind of been my mindset with with art and music. I always like listening to different stuff. I'm always trying to hear new things. I'm not the most nostalgic guy. I'll put it that way. And in terms of the desk and your chair, I mean, you know, sitting all that, that that's a lot of sitting in there. I don't know if you've heard that sitting's the new smoking. Why don't you do a standing desk? Have you ever thought about that? Judging and then you're higher up people like I that, you know, you're looking that. down at them like a pharmacist. Yeah, I, I think that's a good idea. But I will say this. I, I have the door back here. I always walk to the machine. I make copies of stuff, too. I'm always grabbing stuff. I'm walking back. And forth. I'm definitely not one of the judges like bring it to me. Ring to me. I, I get up and I get out. I try to get as many steps in. And 
I bring my dog to work and I walk her all the time in between hearings and during lunch and things like that. So that keeps me a little lax. And then you get your steps okay. in. What, what, what kind of what kind of dog do you have? Uh, she's I inherited her. My uh, my ex-wife and kids had her for 11 years. And then she moved to uh, New Jersey with her with her now fiance. And he's not really a dog guy. And she tore her ACL right before COVID and asked if I could watch a dog. And it's kind of a, a lab, a Rhodesian Ridgeback Coonhound mix. And I'm like, yeah, I'll watch the dog. And then next thing I know, COVID hits. And I'm like, I want to keep the dog. And she's like, you know what? You can keep the dog. So I get to keep the dog. She's potty trained. She's mellow. She's 12. It's perfect. I love it. Nice. And she just hangs out in court. Are people allowed to pet her? Um, if they know she's here. If people are in court, which they haven't been since I've gotten her. I mean, we've had COVID hit. So who's in here? Um, and we can talk about that. Um, she's, yeah, when I do weddings, I'll bring her out if people are okay with dogs being at the wedding and they can pet her. She's super mellow, loves people. But she doesn't double as like a amateur therapy dog? Not yet. I think she could. I got to look into that. I would love to have her as a therapy dog for people coming in here. And 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 there, I probably, I did have, my girlfriend has a, a little uh, shih tzu that I would bring in before this. And I would bring that out to people. And it, it, I, there were people that were like, it sues them. I mean- because the reality is people coming into court, even a court like this, that's very small and, and the, the entry level, they get nervous, they get anxious, they don't know what to expect. They see the judge as this stern authoritarian thing, and it's very by the book and by the rules. And in a sense it is, but in a sense it isn't. Uh, my goal is to make people comfortable with the justice system and comfortable with the law and understand nobody's running against you. We're just trying to get to the truth of the matter. We're just trying to get to what's right and what's fair. Do you think and it would make it? That, yeah. I'm sorry. Do you, do you think it would make it easier and people like a little less stressed if you'd stop doing the thing where when people come in, they bang the staff and say, oh yeah, oh yeah, all rise. Do you think, do you think if you stopped having your staff do that, it would make it uh, easier on people? Uh, I probably should stop having a big bodyguard. What's the password now? I don't have anything. I don't have a bail if I have nothing. People are like, do you have any security? I actually don't. Um, but I, I'm I'm comfortable with the way the courtroom works and and what goes on here. I mean, there have been incidents in some of the courts, and it's unfortunate. Um, but we've been we've been lucky. People are usually pretty cool, and I you know I do have moments, civil moments, where people are getting heated and. You kind of have to be the guy to calm them down and to keep them cool and to let them understand we're, we're going to have order and we're going to we're going to discuss this in a civil matter. Uh, it's interesting because I've taken one of those personality tests. This is a big one. It's like the star and it's got nine points. I've taken it twice in the last four years. Every time I am strongly on peacekeeper. And I think that's my personality type. And that's the personality type you need in this position. Because you essentially are a peacekeeper. You have two opposing parties, sometimes adamantly believing in their side, and you got to try to keep the peace. Uh, and you have to be able to look at things and try to do things as fairly as possible and have parties come out, you know, at least feeling like justice was served and things were fair. And, and I know knocking on doors, I've had people not happy with decisions. I, I get that. But I'm like, did I treat you respectfully? Did I, I listen to you? Did I give you time? And they'll always say yes. They may not like my decision. That's fine. That's going to happen. But they are, nobody's complaining that I just dismissed them and I'm like, whatever. And that happens with some judges. Yeah. Uh, I definitely let hearings go on 
way longer than they should. But you know what? People don't come to court that often and they deserve to have time. They deserve to be heard. Now, you mentioned uh, COVID and what it was like, you know, nobody being in your courtroom and all that business. My wife tells me I have to stop asking people about COVID stuff, but this is a pretty unique situation. So tell me, walk me through if you can remember back in March of 2020, you know, when things were starting to shut down and kind of get a little bit crazy. How did that look from inside a courtroom perspective? Uh. It wasn't fun in the sense that it, it was a total shutdown for us. You yeah. know, orders came down. Nobody can come in. Nobody can do anything. I mean, we really weren't even in here for at least six weeks, I think, maybe two months. It was a while. And then it's like, okay, we've got this backlog. How are we going to do things? What are we going to do? I learned Zoom pretty quickly. Uh, I knew this was going to be the tool that we were going to use. And I knew pretty instantly we're probably going to use this a lot more coming out of COVID, which will make things interesting. So I've been almost 100% Zoom uh, from day one. And it's, it's tough. It has its moments. It has its difficulties with audio and difficulties with people being able to sign in. And I always work with people. Okay, sometimes we'll do it over the phone or this and that. You know, the things that have to be in person will be in person. But we've been able to manage to get things moving the transition. And I, I think it also helped the DA's office and the public defender's office kind of streamline things a little bit. Uh, I think it helped with, you know, the jail, the prison population. I think uh, electronic monitoring has, has become more of a thing. I think this is actually going to force uh, the local courts and maybe the county courts to kind of move into the modern age and use the technology that we have. Uh, because it's there. And I think the courts sometimes lag in using the technology that's available. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. And, and, and I say that also in terms of, of notice, I, you know, yeah, we got to send things out certified mail and mail. But I think we can start using texting and email much more. I mean, for your even podcast, I get a text message. Hey, you're going to do this thing in an hour. That's a simple program and simple algorithm. We can do that for defense because most of the defendants that miss their hearings, just they forget. They don't put it in their calendar. I can't tell you how many times I've called defendants up. I'm like, you got a hearing right now. Oh, I thought it was tomorrow. It's like, you know, a simple text could have solved that problem an yeah. hour ago. And I, I don't think people purposely miss hearings. There are some that do, of course. There are people that don't show up. We know that. Uh, but I don't think the numbers is great. As I don't think it's 100% of the people don't show up, don't want to show up. I think it's probably 10 to 20, maybe, percent. Now, I've noticed some courts uh, really across the state, but I mean, obviously across the country as well, but I only practice in Pennsylvania, that a lot of courts are opening up, they're back in person, but it sounds like you're still mostly on Zoom. Well, actually, we just got a directive saying, look, you can open things back up uh, if you want to continue to use uh I think they call it ACT, alternative communication technology. You can, as long as all the parties consent, um, which I, I like. I, you know, a lot of times you have traffic, somebody's out now in town, they've got a simple inspection ticket or something that's going to get pled down anyway. Why take up all their time? Um, you know, if the matter is important, you know, one party will say, hey, I want us all to come in. Usually a criminal matter. You're going to want to pe have people coming in. So that's going to start happening a lot more. Uh, civil and landlord tenant. Now, a lot of the landlord tenants can be resolved uh, amicably online. We do it all the time. Um, 
So I, I think it's going to sort of be more incorporated. It's going to be a resource available. I kind of want to make it optional. Hey, if you consent to doing it now, there might be a time where, you know, traffic, they, they get on Zoom, they go to a breakout room, they can't work it out. And I might say, look, I, I think I need you guys both to come in for this one. Or the officer, you know, isn't prepared, assuming, hey, this was probably going to be a plea. Yeah, I'll push that out and we'll do that live. But I, I think efficiency wise, I'm going to continue to use this um, for all parties that want to use it. And it's kind of a bummer because I like people coming into my court. I enjoy when people come into my court. I, I'm looking forward to more people coming in. Uh, but the reality is, I think we're going to use this technology for a while now, at least I am, because in the end, it's it's more it's it's just better for everybody, more efficient and saves a lot of people a lot of time and trouble and gas. So why not? Yeah, that's uh, that's my opinion. And also then I don't have to put on pants, but you don't have to comment. <laughs> well, you're at work. You don't I, have to comment so, on what, hey. Yeah. Well, you're at you're your office. So hopefully I'm not trying to get you, uh, you know, a conduct board situation. Uh, oh, I so, am wearing pants. Okay. <laughs> I noticed you yelled that. So that was good. Uh, but so everyone in the office knows what the situation is. Everyone, everyone here on this uh, interview is in pants. Don't worry, everyone. So you're up for election this year. Uh, what is that like? And, you know, what, what's it like running and judging and running a practice and having two kids all at the same time? Well, the kids are 20, so oh. that's easy. Uh, they do their own thing. They, they both go to Lehigh and they're doing internships and they're great and they're doing well. Um, the practice, it, I'm pretty much, I've got one client. It's uh, here and there. I'm not really doing much with that. It's, it's all focused on the campaign. And the campaign is really focused on educating. It's, it's difficult because my opponent's a nice guy, a retired police officer, grew up here, lived here all his life. Uh, and I, I try to tell people, look, that's a good thing. I, I wish I were born here. I'm not. I, I, that's something I can't control. Uh, but what I can control is my experience, my qualifications, um, how I I handle things in this court, my leadership. I'm the second vice president of the Montgomery County uh, Special Judges Association. Uh, I go into classrooms. I teach civics. Um, I teach people law. I go into senior homes. And, and I tell people, look, he's a good guy, but you, you need that professional. So we're not voting for homecoming king. It's great he grew up here. And honestly, I've told him, I'm like, this is perfect for supervisor or commissioner. Uh, something where you can utilize those skills of having a network of people and knowing the history. Uh, and I, I do know the history here, but also when you get a traffic ticket, does it matter that I grew up here 40 years ago? I don't think so. Mm -hmm. If you're going to civil court and you have a serious claim for damages and for a poor contracting job, and he has a contract, that, do you want a judge that knows contracts and knows torts? Or do you want a judge that grew up here 40 years ago? I, I think you have to put those, those hometown biases aside and look at the position for what it is. And then there's the politics. The politics shouldn't even be in there. I understand that for maybe Supreme Court and the higher level courts that are really dealing with constitutional issues. I've done this six years. I've never had a political issue come in front of me. I've never had a policy issue come in front of me. I've never raised anyone's taxes. I've never took, you know, I don't deal with the second amendment. Those things are not what you look at for this position. But unfortunately, the reality is you're a D, you're an R. 
And in this country right now, people are way too focused on that stuff. Uh, and they're not looking at the actual jobs that the people are doing. So my goal now is to go out there to educate, to talk to voters, to let them know and, and encourage them to get out and vote and uh, to make a good choice. And that's all I can do. It's, yeah. it's tough. Yeah, well, it's not all you can do because now you have to sit for our uh, lightning round questions, lightning-ish yes. round. Um, the first question, most important, and I know you said you just uh, binged a bunch of episodes, so you know where I'm going here. Oxford <laughs> comma, what do you know what it is? Hopefully, if you listen of to all course. our episodes, and I what's your position? A, I give a freak about an Oxford comma. I know Vampire Weekend very well. There you and go. Hopefully, people uh, Spotify that band because that's how I first learned about the Oxford comma through that song. I'm a believer in the Oxford comma. I, I like my commas. I do a lot of writing, and a lot of emails, and I like to make, make sure you fragment the thought. And I think that does a good job of frag. So I'm heavily pro Oxford comma. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> what's something you get wrong almost every time you do it? Uh, expecting my kids to listen to my advice. I, I do it. Maybe they listen to it. Maybe they don't. But expecting them to go, hey, dad, thanks for that great advice. That was really cool. You really helped me out. I never get that. I always give them advice. I always try to tell them, point them in the right direction. They're 20-year-old boys. They don't care. But sometimes they listen. They just won't tell me they're listening. Yeah. Well, hopefully when they're older, they come back and say, hey, that was good advice and it was helpful. Or maybe not. If I'm, if I'm still alive. <laughs> if you're still around and if you didn't ruin them, you know, that's the hope. Uh, what's something you hate but you wish you loved? What do I hate? I, I think amusement parks. I, I hate them. I can't stand amusement parks. My kids love them. Everyone seems to love them. I, it drive me crazy. I have no interest. I go on the rides. I, I'm going to throw up. I hate waiting in line for something. I just don't get it. But, you know, I just talked to a friend last night. They're going to Disney World for the 12th time. And I'm like, put shoot me now. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I mean, I love Disney World. But to me, a Six Flags or going upside down, I don't need to be upside down. No, I was meant to go in one direction and it's this direction. And I don't need to mess with nature. Uh, what's the weirdest tradition your family has? We don't have many family traditions. I, we really don't. I, my family's kind of interesting. You know, my dad passed away when I was young, like 19. Um, my mom, I've got an older brother who's kind of a little wacky lives with my mom. My younger brother is very successful. So, I mean, basically the only real tradition is, my, I was lucky enough to have a grandmother who invested in a beach house in Rehoboth that my aunts and uncles and family goes to. But my family goes down at least once a year and hangs out at Rehoboth and, you know, tries to recreate our dysfunctional thing once a year. So we get that going. So I guess being dysfunctional once a year is a tradition. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's a good one. Now, let me ask you, this is the most important one. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? You know, I heard this on one of your other podcasts, and I, and I don't know if this is the best. I mean, the best is always treat others as you would treat yourself. And that's a given. That's that's the gold star. But, you know, you were interviewing Greg Gifford. And one of the things he told me back when I was interning with him is always call and talk to people when you have a question and and reach out to them. And don't just, you know, text or whatever. And this is probably before texting was just starting. But he's like, if you've got a question, talk to people because they're happy to give you an answer. And basically, it's like, oh, you're coming to me for advice. This is really cool. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's a, a good thing to do. It solidifies relationships down the line. It's a respectful thing. And it, it's just a good way to go about things. Don't be afraid to call people and ask them a question. And 
usually you'll get really good advice. And that goes especially for lawyers, uh, because a lot of times ah, I'll talk to them later. I don't know. You start discussing things. You can make headway uh, in a lot of cases. That's good advice. And uh, we'll judge. We'll leave it there. Where can people find you? What's your websites, your socials? Tell us everything. Oh, let's see. For the election, it's reelectjudgelevine.com. Uh, Facebook, I think it's reelectjudgeed. If you want to get in touch with the court, you can always do that at DC 38128 at moncopa.org. Uh, that's how to get in touch with the court. And if you want to get in touch with me, I'm pretty open. I have no problem talking to people. Um, I can't talk about specific cases, but you need help. I, I get people calling me for legal advice on stuff and not stuff that's coming in front of me and I'll help them. I have no problem with that. Sounds good. Well, hey, I appreciate you joining us. I think it was a good interview and uh, good luck in the fall. Uh, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. You're doing a great job. Keep up the good work, Josh. All right. Thanks, Judge. Thanks for listening to Interrogatories with Josh Campson. This podcast is a production of the Montgomery Bar Association in Norristown, Pennsylvania. Views expressed during the podcast are those of the participants and not their employers or the Montgomery Bar Association. No content in this podcast should be construed as legal advice. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to Interrogatories, which is available wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave us that five-star rating and review. For more information, visit us at www.montgomerybar.org.